The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message. Ladies, I am so excited that you're here tonight, and I'm so excited for Bible study. I have been talking about the women of John to my family for so long that my sons, who've heard all of the women in John, finally said, Mom, we're so glad you have somebody else to say it to, because uh, we've, we've heard about the women in John for a long time. So thank you for being here tonight. And my daughter is here tonight, so she's a brand new teacher, so she's so glad that you're here. Um, when I see her face, it gives me courage, so um so we, I'm so, I'm so delighted that you are joining us. I just want to say welcome. And I want to give a little history just as we get started. We started this Zoom prayer Bible study um, when we went into COVID because we thought, okay, we're in lockdown. We can't be together. So what do we do? We'll gather the women on Zoom, whoever can come and we'll start a Bible study. We'll study God's word together and, and try to draw in together and learn together. Well, this year um, we have felt Jesus putting a burden on our heart to do something new. And um, we, we, as a team, we met together and we said, now, Jesus, what do you want us to do? We don't want to just keep on doing the same thing just to keep doing the same thing. What is on your heart? And he said, my heart, what's on my heart is not so much that you gather together, is that you get a heart for the world and you get a heart for your own communities and you get a heart for your own families. And you begin not just to gather together, but also begin, begin to look out. So we said, okay, Jesus, well, do we cancel the Zoom Bible study? He said, no, I don't want you to cancel Zoom Bible study. I want you to come together, study my word together, but I want you to give the women a challenge. And here's our, here's our fall challenge. And uh, we were so excited about it. So we want to challenge you to pray about beginning your own Bible study around your kitchen table or in your living room. And we want to challenge you maybe to work alongside this Bible study and maybe to study the book of John. Now, the reason we want to study the book of John and the reason we're studying these seven women is not so we know how Jesus relates to women, but so that we focus all our attention on Jesus. And the beautiful thing about these seven women's stories are women are invited into Jesus's story. And John shows it better than anywhere else in scripture. We are invited and women play pivotal roles in the huge redemption story. And so we would like to invite you to begin to pray and ask Jesus, are there a few women? It could be a sister. You want to meet together and read the book of John together. It could be a small group of neighbors. It could be a daughter or a daughter-in-law. It could be a friend or two. It doesn't have to be more than, it could just be one other person where you say, you want to read the book of John together with me. And, uh, and then we can talk about what Jesus is teaching. Now, Titus, Titus is built on this, that whatever whatever Jesus has is, is available to share. So um, anything that is in this Bible study, you can use as well. So if you want to, um, if you learn something here and then you want to share it the next day with your Bible study, you are more than welcome to do it. So we want to share the, the word of God. I kind of believe that there, God wants to do this explosion of the word of God where, where his word comes alive in our hearts and we can't help sharing it. And so we would begin to share it with other people. So, I'm praying about how he wants uh, me to do that, even if there's a college group or if there's another smaller group that he wants to share with, because something happens in the big group. Like when we look at each other's faces and we say, wait a minute, there are this many women who want to learn about Jesus together in his word. 
Um, there's a beauty about it. There's something very tender about it. But there's also something beautiful when we can uh, talk together and interact face to face. So that's my challenge. If if you feel Jesus leading you to do that, um, let us know and we'll pray for your group and your community. Now, you may say I'm not a Bible teacher. Okay, well, that, that I get that. But this is what this I wanted to tell you how this Bible study started for me, because I did not begin to prepare this Bible study to teach. Um, I, I think it was it was back before COVID, a couple years before COVID. And I was feeling overwhelmed. I don't remember what it was about, but I was feeling overwhelmed with my Bible time. So I said, OK, I want to say the book of John, but the book of John overwhelms me because it's so beautiful. It seems so big. And I don't know how to get into it. I don't know how to get the whole thing in my mind at one time. It seems overwhelming. So I felt like Jesus said, we'll read one chapter a day and then ask the Holy Spirit to let, to help. I will help you meditate on it throughout the day. So I would get my one chapter in the morning and I would read it and then ask the Holy Spirit to kind of keep it in my mind. So I'd think about it when I was driving or when I was going to the grocery store. I tried to be real intentional to, to meditate on that chapter. What's Jesus saying and what does it mean and how does it fit with the chapter before? I just kind of tried to live in it. Well, 21 days, it's only one, it's only a three week commitment. So 21 days, I got to the end of the book and I was mesmerized by the book of John. And I was mesmerized by the things Jesus was teaching me. So I felt like Jesus said, we'll start again. So I started again and 21 more days. I read a chapter a day. I got to the end of the book of John for the second time. And all of a sudden it was, it was right during the time in our, in our society where the Me Too movement was all the rage and women were struggling, right, with everything. And um, and I, I, I have there were burdens on my heart. And I said, Jesus. Well, anyway, I was praying about that separately. And I got to the end of the book of John the second time. And I thought, you know what? The stories about women in the book of John are different than in the other Gospels. They're longer. They're very important. And they're very theological. In the sense that Jesus is having real conversations with women. He's saying some of the most important things he ever says about himself to women. And I thought, that's really unusual. And the, the stories of women in the other Gospels are beautiful, but they're not like the ones in the book of John. So I got to the end and I thought, I'm interested now. I got curious. I'm interested in these women. So I said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. And I went back again and I started counting the stories. And then I counted the stories and there were seven stories. Now, if you know the Gospel of John, you know that you know the seven is a, is a key number, right? It's the, it's the number of perfection, but it also in John is used for other things, right? And so then I said, what? Did John mean for there to be seven stories about women in his Gospel? And then I got more curious and I started asking some more questions. Now, I will tell you this. Some people are going to tell you that the story in John 8 doesn't fit, right? It wasn't in all the original manuscripts, the woman caught in adultery. So maybe there's six, maybe there's seven, but we're going to study all seven. And this is what I have found as I've studied. Um, John is very intentional about including these women in his story. He's very intentional. And it is very countercultural that these women are included in these places in his story. And I think it's very important. So as you, if you're thinking about, well, maybe I could read a chapter a day and I could ask some of my friends to read a chapter a day uh, or a chapter a week and we'll study it. And then we just get together and share what Jesus has taught us. 
That's how this Bible study took place in my heart. And he might, you might read through it and something else might come alive in your heart. But see, when that happens, something comes alive in your heart and then you share what's alive in your heart and another woman shares what's alive in her heart. Then we become, the word of God multiplies and goes forth. So that's our challenge. That's what we want to do. And that's also kind of how I want to set up this Bible study. Um, this has come out of my own my own talking to Jesus and my own wrestling through some of what has been taking place in our culture. And um, I knew that um, some people were saying women have these roles to play and they must be under this authority. I knew that other people were saying, okay, women can be free to do whatever they want and they can, they are not under any authority. And I said, okay, Jesus, how do women come to you and find their identity in you and not react to their culture or their background or their who their parents were, they just find their identity in you. And these seven stories became, became, um, have become so real to me. So that's, that's kind of where we're going. Now, I want to tell you a little bit, a little bit of background. Um, and then I have a surprise. First of all, these seven stories, and I'll tell you who they are. It's Mary, the mother of Jesus. She's in the wedding story of the wedding of Cana. Um, it's the Samaritan woman at the well. It's the woman caught in adultery in John 8. It's Martha in John 11, Mary in John 12, four women at the cross in John 19, and Mary Magdalene in John 20. So those are our seven women. And as I was thinking about this, I realized um, what's one thing is unusual is you kind of have the best of women and the worst of women in terms of how we evaluate women, right? We have women like Mary, his mother, who just said, behold, I'm a handmaid of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. We have Mary of Bethany, right? Who we're always trying to be like Mary of Bethany, right? Living in a posture of worship. And then we have women who have are broken in every way. They've been the woman at the well married five times. And whether it was her own, her own sin or the sin of the men that kept tossing her away, she lived with a brokenness. Or the woman caught in the act of adultery and brought into the temple in humiliation. Women um, like Mary Magdalene, who I think had probably more emotional needs than any of these women. So whatever, the broken, the needy, the ones who had hearts that were clean and ready for God to use them, all women were welcome in Jesus's story. And I will tell you something funny that you're going to find out. The best of the women have the shortest stories. You know how the longest stories, the woman who had been married five times and the bossy church lady, Martha, right? Who had a lot to say. Those two women get the most, get the most um, screen time. Um, and they are, are, have the most conversation with Jesus. And I think that is significant that no matter our need, no matter our background, no matter where we've come from, no matter our stories, Jesus, Jesus will meet us at the level of our need. And the greater our need, the deeper he will meet us. And I believe that, right? That she who loves, she who has been forgiven much, loves much. That idea that if we, um, if we know how deeply we need him, he will respond to that, to the depth of that level. So, so I'm excited to be able to share this. And I want to say there are four things that every woman that I want, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this for two reasons. For your own sake, this is true for you. This is also true for every woman you know. So the ones who aren't on this call, the ones who are at your work, the ones who kind of drive you crazy, 
your daughters, your mothers, your, your, those that are related to you. This is true of every woman. Jesus wants every woman to come to an encounter with Jesus. He wants to invite them into his eternal redemptive story. Every woman. Every woman is understood. These seven stories, every single one of these women, he understands and he relates to them according to who they are. He relates to them according to their story. There's no formula. Every story is radically different. There's no formula. Um, then every woman is understood and he relates to her for who she is. Every woman is loved. Every woman meets with the love of God. So in John 1.18, we're going to see this. It says, no one has seen God the Father at any time, but Jesus, his only son, has made him known. So when we meet, have an encounter with Jesus, we see into the heart of God the Father and we are welcomed. And as I was going through and studying for tonight, that was the word that kept coming to my mind. You are welcome in the heart of the Father. Every woman is welcome in the heart of the Father. And he wraps his big arms around us and he says, you are welcome into my heart. And Jesus is the way into the heart of the Father. The theologian Tom Torrance said, there is no God behind the back of Jesus where we love Jesus and feel safe with him. But God, the Father seems scary or judgmental or he's going to get us or we're afraid of him. And Jesus comes. The whole book of John is to dispel that. In fact, my grandfather would say that the main character in the book of John is God the Father. He is the one orchestrating this divine redemptive story. And so if you if you notice how I tried to count how many times Father was used, but I couldn't. I couldn't count it because it's hundreds of times the Father is referred to. He is writing this story and offering us his son Jesus. And um and to well that is the way we we come into the heart of the Father. And every woman's security is in the heart of the Father. So we're understood, we're loved. We are given a place. Now, I love this because in our in our culture right now, it's like, and I've, I've listened to so many podcasts, it's like, now, what do you want as a woman? What do you want? Now, how do you get there, right? So you kind of set your goals and then find a way to get there. And Jesus says, no, come to me. Come to me. And as we come to Jesus, he unfolds our life story. And he does it in a way that surprises us with his goodness. Now, I will tell you this. We don't always know the way he's going. <laughs> it's, but I will tell you that there's this sense of, I know how I made you and I know what I made you for. And you can trust me. Come to me and I will begin to unfold your life story. And that, I think, in our Christian community has been almost totally lost for women. This idea that it's safe to trust him with your life. It's safe to trust him with your story. And he will make a place for you. We don't find our identity by looking inside ourselves. We find our identity by looking to him. Then for every woman, he gives a vo he gives a place and he gives a voice. Every one of these women speak to Jesus and Jesus speaks to them. Except the four women who stand at the foot of the cross. So at the cross, there are no words, <laughs> only Jesus. There are no words of the cross. But other than that, every woman has, is given a voice to speak. When we come to Jesus and we say, I need you, I need you. He says, I know you do. <laughs> and I want to talk to you. And as we engage with dial in dialogue with Jesus, 
We are free to speak to him anything on our hearts. You're going to see that tonight with his mother. Anything on our hearts, we are free to speak to him. And um, and and then he um, gives us the voice to speak into the lives of other people. So that's how we go about, right? That's how we're going to look at each one of these women. And we're kind of going to look at each woman from five angles. And we won't do all this. Um, this is kind of all my kind of introduction, so you know where I'm coming from. But um, every woman, we're going to look at the context. Because I don't want it just, just to be a Bible study about women. I want this to be a Bible study about Jesus and who he is. Um, so we're going to look at the context. And we're going to kind of link hands, right? So today we're going to look at John 1 and John 3. So we're not just looking at our story. We're looking at the wider picture. Because I'd like for us as much as possible, and this is kind of selfish, um, to get the book of John in our minds, the whole book. Not just these seven stories, but how they fit together and how they point us to him. Um, so the context, we're going to look at the theology behind these stories. Jesus has theological conversations all throughout the book of John, and he has theological conversations with these women. And here's what I think we need to do. As we read scripture, we live with a lot of ideas about God that we don't articulate. We don't think about, why do I believe that about God? Am I afraid of God? Do I think God is good? Do I think God is out to get me? Um, do I, am I feeling guilty all the time? Am I always striving to please him? And Jesus says, I want you to think rightly about who I am. I want you to think rightly about who God the Father is, who God the Son is, who God the Holy Spirit is. So we're going to ask some of those questions. Once we think clearly, then we can um, trust more easily. We're going to look at each woman's personal story because these women have a story to tell. And their experience is such that um, they're going to teach us by how they respond to Jesus and interact with him. Then we're going to look. Every story has a mission. So one of the things about... Um, loving Jesus is he wants to encounter every woman for herself. But, and my grandfather used to say this too, everyone's salvation lies in the heart of someone else. So when Jesus works in my heart, it's, he wants to meet the, my needs, but it's also so that he can work through my life to, to meet someone else. So almost never does God just directly save someone. He almost always works through the life of another person. And so every one of these stories has a missional aspect. So the John was written around um, AD um, 85, right? So the, the early church was formed and the gospel was going out. The persecution had already come. The gospel was going out. So all these stories are for the sake of the whole world knowing Jesus. And we're going to get to see how women play a role in that, in that unfolding. And then the last one is practical. But be ye doers of the word. James, I've been trying to live in James and say, how do we, how can we be doers of the word? We don't want to come to Bible study and look in the mirror and see the face of Jesus and then go out and live exactly the same. We want to open up our hearts and allow him to transform us. And he will transform us by obedience. So, and sometimes obedience is a little bit um, hard. I, I, we have some new books. We're going to tell you about them next week. This is one of them. It's called God is My Hiding Place from Corey Ten Boone, and it's devotionals. But she told a story in there, and she said she was 80 years old, and she had gone somewhere to speak about the love of God. She's very tired. And two nurses came up to her, and they said, we'd love for you to come to our house and um, have coffee. Well, she, coffee sounded very good. <laughs> she was very tired. <laughs> 
So she went to their house and realized they lived on the 10th floor of an apartment building with no elevator. And she was like, oh, Jesus, I don't have strength to do this. And Jesus said, I have a surprise waiting for you. You can trust me. So she walked up five flights of stairs and there was a chair and she flopped down in the chair. She couldn't breathe, couldn't catch her breath. So she sat there for a while. And then with one nurse in front of her, one nurse behind her, she made it up the, uh, the next five flights of stairs. She got to the apartment and in the apartment were the parents of one of the nurses. And as they sat around to drink coffee, um, she looked at um, what she was talking to the mother. And finally she said, do you have you? Receive the Lord Jesus as your Savior. And the mother said, no, I haven't. Would you like to? Yes, I would like to. And then she was able to pray with the mother. And then uh, the father looked like he would like also to ask Jesus into his heart. So she said to him, would you like to receive Jesus? Yes, I would. She was able to lead both of them to the Lord Jesus. And as she was coming back down the stairs, Jesus said to her, I told you I had a surprise for you. When you obey, even when it costs something, it's always redemptive. And uh, so we want to be women who hear the word of God. And then we want to be women who obey the word of God. <laughs> and we will find as we obey um, that it, it keeps his presence alive in us. When we hear his voice and when we're listening to him and we say, Jesus, what do we do today? And he says, this is what I want you to do. And then when we obey it, there's this sense of intimacy, right? Like, okay, Jesus, I did that. Now what's the next thing? I love Corey Ten in this, in this uh, devotional. She said, it, when I was growing up as a child, it was so easy to talk to Jesus. It was like he was a member of the Ten Boom family. I could talk to him as easily as I could talk to my parents. That kind of intimacy comes from obedience. And when we obey, right, when we obey and live that life of talking to him all the time, um, our children have the opportunity as well. So that's kind of how we're going to approach each, each week. I'm going to pray over us and then I'm going to start our PowerPoint. Jesus, thank you that somehow you have invited all of us to be part of your story. And somehow the God of the universe said, I want to know you and I want you to know me. And so I'm going to send my son and I want every single one here to encounter Jesus so they know the heart of the father. And Jesus, I pray you'd make your word come alive to us in new ways, in fresh ways. I pray you do something in all of us, Jesus. It's never been done before. Refresh us. Restore us, help us to fix our eyes on Jesus. And I pray for places of weariness. I pray for pray for places of discouragement. I pray you would lift the shadows tonight and you would shine in the light of the world. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this is Mary. This is our painting, the um, Laura's first painting on Mary. Um, and I love this. Now this is the scene she painted and I love this scene and I love I love her detail. I love the wedding um, table in the back. I love the, the guests that are kind of blurry in the corner and I love this intimacy between Jesus and his mother. This is one of the most important uh, scenes in human history, I think. And, um, and I, so I love how she's captured it. And then this is Mary. And I, I think as we, um, as we gather together tonight, um, I, I think this helps us. 
All right, I want to read. I want to read from John 2, 1 through 11. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, do, this is our memory verse, do whatever he tells you. Now, this is our memory verse. And if you, um, I just say, learn it. John 2, 5, do whatever he tells you to do. Um, say it every single day. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water that had now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who drew the water knew, um, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. And after this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there a few days. One of the things that Jesus has kept saying to my heart about um, Mary is, um, and this passage is, I, well, as, as I was getting ready to start, I thought, okay, I'm going to put this in context. And I just was kind of trying to go through the method that I felt like he had given me. So I started to read John 1, and then I said, oh, my goodness. Well, this is the context for this story, maybe the most important three chapters of telling us about who Jesus is of the entire New Testament. And I began to look about the words that are spoken of Jesus. In John 1, we have, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him. Without him, that was not anything made that was made in him was life. And the life was the light of the men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome. it. All right. As we look at these three things, there are going to be three, three um, names of Jesus from John one and three from John three that we're going to, that are going to bracket this story. And I want us to look at them. I think it's important because they are, um, they set the stage for who Jesus is. And then right in the middle of these six amazing statements about who Jesus is, you have his mother, this little encounter between a mother and a son. And it really, really surprised me as I was studying this. So the first one is, in the beginning, we have the word, and he speaks grace and the truth into the whole world. And then we have the witness of John the Baptist in John 1, 29. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not just my personal sin. He takes away the sin of the world. And this one blew me away because... It's, it's a reference to the Old Testament, to Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, right? Where they would bring a, a young goat into the center of town. And the priest would lay all the sins of the people symbolically on the goat. And the goat would be sent out into the wilderness. That is what this refers to, the Lamb of God who takes the sin of the world away. 
And then one of my favorite little stories, it's not about a woman, one of my favorite little stories in the Gospel of John is this is Nathaniel. So remember Philip, um, he spends the day with Jesus and then he's like, oh my goodness, he had an encounter with Jesus. He said, oh my goodness, I got to go find my friend. And uh, that is a mark of the work of the spirit in a human heart. I got to tell somebody. I got to tell somebody about how good he is. So he goes and finds his friend. Um, Philip goes and finds Nathaniel sitting under the tree. And Nathaniel is a good man, but a little cynical, right? And so he says, yeah, can anything good come from that place? And here is the invitation of the entire book of John. Come and see. Come and see. Come and see Jesus. Come and have your own encounter with Jesus. Come and see. Nathaniel comes to Jesus. And what does Nathaniel say um, in verse 49? Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So the context for this little mother and son story is in the beginning was the word, the lamb of God, the son of God, the king of Israel, the one Israel had been waiting for. And then we have our little story, which we're coming to in just a minute. But afterwards, I want you to look at these three stories. Jesus comes into Jerusalem and cleanses the temple in John 2. It's the story immediately following the wedding of Canaan, right? And they said, who are you and how do you have authority to do this? And he said, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. And in that statement, right, he claims all authority over the Jewish history, the religious institutions, religious authority. He said, this is not about the symbol. I am the reality. He claims all spiritual authority in that story. Now, I think Jesus wondered why that wasn't his first sign, <laughs> why he wasn't allowed to perform his first miracle there. Um, but that's what happens immediately following. And then what do we have next? Nicodemus in the most famous passage in the New Testament uh, for God to love the world. He had a beloved son and he gave them so that anyone who believes in him will be saved. He's the giver of eternal life. And then the last one, we had the first witness of John the Baptist, and now we have the last witness of John the Baptist. It brackets this section. And here's what John the Baptist says. He who has the bride, now think about our story in the wedding of Cana. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. The bridegroom has come. And I think um, as we think about those six statements about who Jesus is, I want us to stop for a moment and pause at the magnitude of them, right? He's the beginning. He's the creator. He's the bridegroom, the wedding supper of the lamb. He takes away the sin. He's the redeemer of the whole world. And he handles all the sin and brokenness in the world. He's the giver of eternal life. He's the king of Israel. And he has authority over all religious symbols. And he is himself the reality. So John paints this enormous picture about who Jesus is in these first three chapters. And, and what, I, um, what really kind of blows my mind about this is that then in the middle, Right in the middle of these humongous things, you have this encounter um, between Jesus and his mom. Now I want to stop. I want to think, and we're, that's our context. We're kind of thinking. We're, I want you to think theology with me for a little bit. Think about these two things. 
It happens at a wedding. The very first sign Jesus does happens at a wedding. Now remember, John's just said he's the bridegroom. It happens at a wedding. And it's with his mother. And so the emphasis is on not his divinity, but it is on his humanity. So we have a sign here of two things. First of all, we have a sign that God seems to understand history as uh, in, in marriage terms. History starts with a wedding. History is going to end with a wedding. And the incarnation, God says, I want to wed myself to my people. I want to wed myself to creation. So I will come to them in the person of my son. And in the person of my son, they will come to me. So a union takes place at the incarnation, like a wedding. And do you know what it does to us? It symbolizes how deeply Jesus wants to know us and how much the Father loves us. He does not looking just for our obedience. He's not looking just for us to get in line and do it right. He is opening his arms. He is saying, I love you. I created you. You are welcome. I will pay any price to bring you to myself. I will send my son. And in my son, the marriage of heaven and earth takes place. He says, and I will allow my son, right? to take on the full humanity. So I don't come and impose salvation on you. I come and I come and enter into your reality. I become a human myself in the person of my son um, so that in me, all your humanity is healed. This is one of the things that the early church could not get over. They couldn't get over the role of Mary, right? That God would come to us through the body of a woman. They could not get over that. And they also could not get over that he took on human flesh. There was no other story in all the in all the mythologies or all the religions of the world where God himself would take on human flesh and enter in to, um, to humanity in this way. And um, they couldn't get over it. So now I want you to think about this. I want you to think about the three the three statements about Jesus before the three statements about Jesus then and then this setting at a wedding not and and, and in these few verses he is the son of his mother a little woman just like us right who just said well father if that's what you want to do okay my life is your life my life is available it was just one little woman who said you can have my life I give it to you I went to London with my husband um, this this um, in June, and we had the opportunity to go to the Victoria um, and Albert uh, Museum in London. Whenever whenever Victoria was queen, um, Albert said it was during the Industrial Revolution, and Albert said, "Well, the world is opening up, and we want people of London to be able to experience the world, but they can't afford it. So we'll bring the world to London." So they had all these reproductions made of all the great work of art all around the world. And they brought them to, they had the reproductions done in London. They put them in this big museum. They're all still there. So I'm walking around room by room. They have all different parts of the world. And here's the interesting thing that I want us to know. Anywhere the gospel had gone, the art had this picture, right? Mary was was sculpted or painted more than any other woman in all of human history. But here's the even here's the more interesting thing. Um, 
in all the other rooms from all the other parts of the world, there are no women. And if there are, they are simply symbols, sexual symbols. But anywhere the gospel had gone, you have you have pictures of Mary and baby Jesus. And the one here with the two women is Mary and Elizabeth. And there are pictures of Jesus everywhere. So the most sculpted, the most painted, the most drawn woman in human history is this little mother. This little woman who said simply, I want to, um, Jesus, my life is, Father, my life is yours. And if you want to give me your son, then I will receive him and I will love him and I will take care of him. And I will, I am your handmaid. You can do whatever with my life you want to do. And so Jesus writes her name into his story and into all human history. And so here we have this little woman and she's standing before him. And this is what she's saying. There's a wedding. And it's a family wedding. Don't you just love that? In the midst of the whole human history, right? There's a little family wedding. And Jesus had just begun to gather his disciples together, right? So there were a few, not all 12, but a few disciples. And it, it seems to be a family wedding. His brothers were probably there and probably his sisters, probably his aunts. Probably, we know Mary had a sister. They were probably there. We just celebrated my niece's wedding. And uh, we all were there and even if we weren't really important, we all pitch, pitched in and, and, and it was a big family affair. That's what this was like, right? And we don't know Mary's role. She wasn't the mother. We don't think she was the mother of the bride or groom, but she might've been an auntie, right? And um, so they find all of a sudden she comes to Jesus and she says to Jesus, they ran out of wine. They have no more. They have no more. Now, what I love about this is this story came alive to me when my oldest son turned 21 and we were, I was thinking about John and I was reading in John and we were throwing a family party. And I said, Hey, Michael, we forgot ice. Would you go get ice for us? And then all of a sudden while I'm doing my party, I'm like, I bet that's what she did. Right? Like, Oh my goodness. We ran out of wine. Jesus, can you do something about the wine? I don't know what to do. Jesus, can you do something? Now, what I love about the story is I don't think Mary knew that this was the moment that God the Father wanted to introduce into the world. There is nothing about the story or about how God related to Mary in other ways that gave any indication. I think she was a woman who simply had a need and she knew her son. She trusted him. She trusted him. And when in a pinch she was going to call on Jesus, just like when I'm in a pinch, I call on my oldest, can you help me? Can you do this? And almost always he'll say, sure, mom, sure, I can help you. I can figure that out. I think that's what's happening here. Jesus, what are we going to do? I need you to do something. And I kind of think she was probably thinking, could you just run down to the store or go to the neighbors and see if you can find some more? I really don't think she was thinking, can you take those 12 pots of dirty foot washing water and make it into wine? I don't think Mary was thinking that. I think Mary was simply thinking there's a need and he has the ability to meet the need. And one thing I love about this story and the way mother and son engage is she didn't know what God the Father was up to. She didn't know the whole scope, right, of what was taking place. But she did know her son. And she did know that he had the heart and the ability and the love and she felt safe with him. And so she came to him and said, Jesus, I have a need. And these people have a need and, and, and they're going to be embarrassed unless you do something. I think that I want to stop and say this. 
I think our needs are his opportunities. Our needs are the father's opportunities to show the glory of Jesus into our world. So I want you to think about your life. What are the needs in your life? I've got some in mind. And as we, instead of bulking and fighting against those needs, we come to Jesus and say, Jesus, and just like in our picture, right? The hand, her hand is on his shoulder, like, Jesus, we have a need. We have a need. There, We've run out. We've run out of money. We've run out of energy. We've run out of wisdom. We've run out of strength. We've run out of resources. We've run out of space. We've run out. Jesus, what do we do? Jesus, you're going to have to do something because we've run out. And that is the Father's opportunity to glorify the Son through our lives. And the sweetest thing is that he meets our needs in the process and says, oh, that's all I needed. I just needed that one doorway into your life, one doorway through your need into a life, and then I can glorify Jesus and I can take care of you. And I think that is the sweetest witness of all these women's lives. They all have a personal need and Jesus meets the need. But he works through their lives to make Jesus known. The Father works through their, his, their lives to make Jesus known. And we all have needs. So all we have to do is come to him in our needs. And our world is telling us now, oh, okay, you need to plan better. You need to work harder. You need to exercise more. You need to eat right. You need to have all your ducks in a row. You need to volunteer here. You need to all the things. And Jesus is saying, there's only one thing. Come to me. Come. Come to me. <laughs> Come to me. That's all he's asking. Come to me. Bring your need to me. And the older I get, the more simple it seems, right? The more it's like, okay, that's about all I can do. It feels like we've run out on a lot of levels. But I can come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I have a need. And then she trusts him. Now, I want to tell you a few practical things. I think about trusting. How do we develop a relationship with Jesus where we just trust him. Think about Mary. She knew her son. She knew him. She knew what he was like at home. She knew what he was like in the carpenter's office. She knew him and she trusted him. So if we want to be women that are ready to trust him in the moments that are big, we have to be women that trust him behind the scenes. And I think for me, the easiest way to do it is to say it out loud. Jesus, I trust you. I trust you with my kids. I trust you with our finances. I trust you with work. I trust you with this. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. Jesus, I trust you. And sometimes I think we might need to say it a hundred times a day. Because get into the pattern of just saying, Jesus, I, I don't know, but I trust you. And uh, as we learn to keep lifting our face to him, looking to him, inviting him into our situation and telling him we trust him, then I think what we do, it's like it tells our brain, it tells our heart, it's safe to trust him. And then uh, when the need is, when the need arises, you already know what to do. And I'll tell you why Mary did this. This is how we know. Mary says, Jesus, we've run out of wine. You need to do something. And then Jesus says to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour is not yet. Now, um, I have sons, right? And so I can really imagine them be like, mom, this is not mine to fix. Mom, not going to, that's not for me. Mom, especially my younger son, my older son, maybe not so much, but my younger son, mom, not so much. Um, and his mother, I think this is beautiful. His mother doesn't argue. 
In fact, she just says, okay. And then she turns to the servant and gives her witness. Whatever he says to you, do it. Her confidence in Jesus, she just trusts him. She releases it and she turns to the servant, right? And she knows that Jesus will do whatever is needed. Even if it takes Jesus a moment, right? <laughs> Even if it takes Jesus a moment to figure out, is this the hour that the father wants me to work? And uh, the mother trusts him. She does not say, well, you could do this or you could do that or you could do this or how about that? She just says, Jesus, here's the need. Whatever he says, do it. And I think that is the model for us. We live in that relationship of trust so much that we can give our need and then we can just be ready to obey. We'll just wait. Now, I want to say this. And before we turn to Jesus, I want to say this. These are the last words Mary speaks in Scripture. This is the last time we hear her voice. It's very moving to me. What's the first time? Behold, I'm a handmaid of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Yes, Lord, your will, not mine. Even if it throws my engagement all wonky, wonky, even if it takes my all my life. Yes, Lord. And then what's the next thing? She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly estate of his handmaiden. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. She doesn't say, oh, wow, this is going to be really inconvenient. Or, oh, wow, this is going to be really tricky. Or what's my mom going to say? Or how do I work this out with Joseph? She just says, wow, yes, yes, you saw me. You're writing me into your story. My soul magnifies you. And then we hear these words, the last words she says, whatever he says, do it, whatever he says. Now we will see Mary two more times. We will see her at the cross, but she doesn't speak. And we will see her at Pentecost. She's part of when the spirit is pulled out, poured out, Mary is there. But these are her last words. And they're pretty good last words. Whatever he says, do you do it? Then Mary steps back out of the story. She steps back. And here's what I think happens that we don't know. But all we know is between what Jesus says to Mary and the next verse, something happens in the heart of Jesus. He says, Mama, it's not my time. I think, I think Mary stepped and talked to the servants. And I think Jesus looked up to his heavenly father and said this. I think he said, Father, Mom just told me it's my time. Is this the hour? And then I think the father said, Son, it is your hour. She's right. This is your hour. And I think the son talked back a little. I think he said, are you sure? Because we're in a little town in the middle of nowhere. And the only people that are going to see this first sign are servants and my mother. <laughs> are you sure? And I think the father said, yes, son, I've never been more sure this is your moment. And then what does Jesus say? He turns to the servants, just like his mom had, and said, well, let's get to it then. There are 12 jars and fill them all with water. Or no, not 12. There are six jars, fill them all with water, and then take some to the master of the feast. And I think the servants do it because of the witness of the mama. She gave her witness. And they said, okay, well, if Mary says to do it, we're going to do it. Even if it's crazy, even if we get fired, here we go. And who were the ones who were the witnesses to this first miracle? The servants. I want to talk about this. I want, to, I want us to think this. 
the mission, right? What is the mission? Well, the mission is that this one woman's need becomes an opportunity for God the Father to share Jesus with the whole world. And he starts with the servants. Power in God's, in God's heart, power is not in position or platform or number or control. Power, he's, Jesus came in through a little country wedding on the backside of nowhere. And it was there he manifested his, his power to the very lowest in society. That was That is how God saves the world. And you say, I'm nobody. And God says, three cheers, <laughs> because that's just who I need. That is just who I need. We don't have to have it all together. We don't have to have a platform. All we have to do is a heart that's, have a heart that just says, Jesus, I have a need. And I believe that you can meet my need. And then Jesus says, okay, let's get on with it. Now, we're not all Marys, but I do believe that any woman who turns to Jesus in love, in trust, in her need, I believe he can change her part of the world and maybe beyond. We don't know how deep the reach will go. Remember, I've been reading Corey Tambu, so let me just say this. Remember in prison, Betsy and Corey were in prison together. And remember Betsy had that sense of Jesus's presence so close and Corey was always kind of critical and like, ah, and couldn't. And then Betsy, remember, she died in prison. And... Corey said, but she had had a vision of what maybe God could do to bring reconciliation to Germany, to bring reconciliation to, to, the, to Europe. And Corey said, well, Jesus, I'm available to you. And Jesus said, okay, I'll take you and you can share your message of love and forgiveness all over Europe all over America. And she was one 53-year-old woman, right? She was 53 when she went to the concentration camp. One 53-year-old woman, not with a lot of experience. She's lived with her family, helped her family, right? It's kind of pretty much in my story. <laughs> and then all of a sudden she ended up in prison. And then Jesus says, will you be available to me even without your sister, even without your father? Will you be available to me? And she says, yes, Jesus. And then she became the, the mouthpiece for forgiveness right? For a whole generation. It wasn't her giftedness, right? It wasn't her background. It wasn't her education, her experience. It was just her availability and her love and trust in Jesus. I think that that's what Jesus wants to do with all of us. And I think that as we come to him, I think he says, okay, I want you um, I want you to come to me in your need, and then I want you to see what I can do. And I say, okay, Jesus, well, how do I take this? How do I take this story? And then how do I let you apply it to my life? What do you want to say? I think there's some practical things he wants to say. Um, these, are, these are practical ways I think we can develop our confidence in him. As we keep our eyes on him. Now we're going to learn more. And we're going to talk more. This was in our introduction. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we fall in love with Jesus. And then that trust becomes natural. Now it doesn't mean we don't still have to practice it, but it is the spirit within us that quickens our heart to love Jesus. And, and then it quickens our hearts to begin to share him. Now, here's a funny thing. When I was growing up, I used to dread reading the book of Acts. 
Isn't that funny? Because I was like, oh no, he's, I'm, I'm going to have to do something that I am just not equipped to do. And it, it created in me this fear. I'm like, oh no, I'm not my mom or I'm not this person. I'm not that person. Oh no. How am I going to do it? I'm, I feel rather timid. Oh no. What shall I, how do I do it? And um, I spent a lot of time worrying about it. And then Jesus said, if you just keep your eyes on me, I will let you share me and give your witness um, in a way that fits you. He's not trying to make us all robots where we all look the same and we all do the same thing and we all say it the same way. He's He wants this wild creativity, like this beautiful garden of God. And he said to me, well, Cricket, you may not be a lily or a rose, but if you'll be a little daisy and just shine, just look at me and shine. And I thought, okay, that's about what I can be, right? A little daisy that just shines. And he said, don't compare yourself with other people. Keep your eyes on me. Keep falling in love with Jesus. And then as you do, I will begin to uh, work through your life to reach another. So that is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, where he all of a sudden, we're like, we want to share Jesus. We're not afraid to share Jesus because of all that Jesus has done in us. Get to know Jesus behind the scenes in normal, ordinary life. I think he loves ordinary, normal, everyday life. Doing the carpool or doing the laundry, or cleaning the toilets, or going on a date with your husband, or hanging out with a friend. I think he wants to be invited to all those moments. Jesus, is this an opportunity to share you? Jesus, would you shine for me? Would you love me? Would you help me to trust you here? And then this is another way I think he's teaching me to trust him. Pray scripture back to him. So this week I've been praying Psalm 21. You're the keeper of my heart. You're the keeper of my family. You're the keeper of my children. You're the keeper of our work, our home, our finances. You're our keeper. And sometimes you have to say it out loud. Sometimes you have to stand firmly on the promises that he's given. Sometimes you have to declare your trust even when your heart is quaking and your feelings are going in the opposite direction. Something happened just this week as I was preparing for Bible study and I felt the enemy sneak into my mind. And what he wanted to say was, oh my goodness, God is not... He is not good. He's not coming through. He's not helping you. The good news is all of us, as soon as it came into my mind, all of a sudden I was like, that's a lie. And I said it out loud. I had my laundry basket in my hand and I was walking through the downstairs and up the stairs and I had my laundry basket and I said, that is a lie. And I said it out loud. I believe God is good. I believe God is faithful. And I trust Jesus with all my heart. And I said it aloud and I said it over and over until the oppression lifted. Sometimes we have to claim our territory. My life belongs to Jesus. The enemy can't have it. And sometimes we are just, we think we're at the mercy of our emotions. We're at mercy of the attacks from the enemy, but we're not. When we come into the presence of Jesus, we are safe in his presence. And um, the other one I've been praying, because sometimes I forget my memory verses. I'm like, but I always remember Psalm 23. Lord, you are this one's shepherd. She shall not lack. Everything she needs will be provided because you take care of her. And uh, as we begin to pray scripture back to him, even our most familiar passages, um, then we, we develop that, that relationship of trust and love. And then share his goodness. Share his goodness according to who you are. And I think you could just say, Jesus, make me creative. How do I creatively share the goodness of Jesus this week? Um, should I make someone cookies? Should I share, should I share a verse? Should I pray with someone? Should I pray for someone? Jesus, how do I share your goodness? But as we become intentional to do it, God begins to work 
work through our lives. And we find all of the fun of life um, comes when all of a sudden we're like, wait a minute, you're speaking to my heart and then creatively working through my life. That is the most beautiful thing in the world. And then practice. Jesus wants us to keep going, to keep going, to keep practicing and let our words be such that we are affirming the goodness of God instead of speaking the negative, but we are speaking our confidence in him. I'll close with this. I believe Jesus wants us to pray the names of Jesus over our family. You are welcome in the presence of Jesus. You are welcome to bring him your need. So I invite you to pray the names of Jesus over over your family this week, specifically our families and our communities, with this assurance, I'm welcome in his presence. I am welcome to come to him with any need. If I've run out, he has enough. And so my challenge is that you would regularly and every day pray, Jesus, you are the word of life. Speak your life into our families. Speak your life. And do you know what happens when he speaks his life? The light comes and the darkness leaves. It cannot remain. Jesus, you are the Lamb of God. You take away the sin of the world. Jesus, take away from our family generational sin. Take away from our family interpersonal hurts. Take away from our family the sin that wants to cling so closely. Take it away. Take it into the wilderness. You are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Heal us. Bring reconciliation. Restore us. Fill us with your hope. Jesus, you are the son of God. You are this Messiah. You are the one all of human history has been waiting for. Satisfy us with your presence and let us live in your presence. As a family, let us live in your presence. And then say to yourself again, I'm welcome into his presence. I'm welcome to bring any need. There is no need that is too big. There's no need that is too little. There's no need that's embarrassing. No need that's embarrassing. Bring every need to Jesus. And then we can say to him, Jesus, you are the temple of the Holy God. You are living among us. Heal our church wounds. Heal the wrongs we have done to one another with power. Heal that. And let us, let power, let us understand power just like God the Father does, right? As we give ourselves away, then um, all the power of God is able to go into another life. Dwell among us. Be our dwelling place. And then the fifth one, Jesus, you are our beloved son. You give eternal life. Give to every member of my family eternal life. Let them know and receive your life. And remember, it's going to say this later in John. What is eternal life? To know the father and his son, Jesus Christ. And then finally, Jesus, you're the bridegroom. You're our future and our hope. Fill us individually. Fill us as families. Fill us as communities with the love of a bride for her bridegroom. You are the love of our hearts. Let us live in the light of that love and let all that we do and all that we say be motivated, motivated by the love for Jesus. And I think, I believe this with all my heart. If all of us begin to pray those six prayers over our families, I believe that transformation would come because it puts Jesus right at the center of all the need the center of all the hurt gets the attention off our lack and onto his who he is. And I think that's what he's inviting us to do in a culture that's divided and struggling and angry and hurt and needy. He says, get your eyes off that 
Get your eyes onto me and look at me and then allow me to live my life through you so that a world can know my love. A world can know they're welcome in my presence. A world can know how good I am and how deeply I want to know and be known by them. So that I think is our challenge. And I think that's the challenge for Mary. And the joyful thing about Mary that I love is how this ends. It says Jesus left um, Cana and he went to Capernaum and Mary went with him. <laughs> At this part of Jesus' story, she's just following right behind him, right? She's like, okay, Jesus, I'm sticking with you. And I think that is what Jesus is saying to us this week. We want to stick with you. Wherever you're going, we're going. And uh, we want to be in conversation. And we want to be praying the names of Jesus over all the ones we love and over our communities. So I think that's what he's challenging us with us tonight. That's my challenge to you. Um, and I want to pray for us as we um, as we finish. And then, um, yeah, let me pray. Father, Sometimes it's hard to believe how good you are. Let us, Jesus, live into that goodness. No matter what hurts or fears or pains are in our life right now, let us lift our eyes to Jesus and say, oh my goodness, there's a God who's opened his heart to us and given us his son and invited us in and he loves us. He welcomes us and he welcomes us to come to him with our need. And he says, you are welcome in my presence. And I can meet all the needs of your life, and I can use you in my bigger redemptive story. Jesus, our world is shaking. Our world is in need. Every woman we know has needs. They're, they're pressed and worried and tired. Jesus, would you pour out your spirit on us? Would you draw us into your heart? And would you teach us to live as, as women who are awaiting their bridegroom with expectation and hope and joy and excitement and blessing? So Jesus, I pray for each one of us that you fill us with your spirit and we love you in Jesus name. Amen.